This podcast is presented by MIQ, an award-winning programmatic media partner for marketers and agencies. Learn more about MIQ's exciting business problem-solving solutions at weareMIQ.com slash ATV. That's W-E-A-R-E-M-I-Q dot com slash ATV. This week on Next in Media, I finally got to talk to an expert on digital privacy law to help us sort out just how worried the ad business should be about regulation. Jessica Lee is a partner at Loeb & Loeb, where she chairs the firm's privacy, security, and data group, so she knows the ins and outs of programmatic advertising. While she seriously doubts we'll have a national privacy law anytime soon, Jessica says a series of state laws, including California's, threaten to have serious implications for our industry's practices, starting this summer. I think you'll find this one super informative, if not a little bit frightening. So let's get started. everyone, welcome to Nexty Media in partnership with BTV. My guest this week is Jessica Lee. She's a partner at Loeb & Loeb and the chair of their privacy practice. Hey, Jessica, thanks for being here. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm pumped to have you because you're an unusual guest. I usually have a lot of people that work in you know, either the buy or sell side of the ad business, and we're always talking about issues like regulation, privacy, and what's coming next. Uh, but I, I thought it'd be great to have someone, someone who's really an expert on this area that comes from the outside to a degree to talk about this. But probably, it probably makes sense to uh, start with just explaining to people what you do and what, how you're connected to this business. Then we can get into some specifics. Does that work? Sure, that works. So you mentioned I chair the privacy practice at Loeb & Loeb, and our privacy practice sits in a larger media technology department uh, that was actually founded when Google acquired DoubleClick. Um, so it was formed oh, wow. with the idea of addressing all the issues that would come up in the online advertising ecosystem. So while... You know, I do privacy for a number of industries. The real focus and specialty is really on the ad tech space and in the advertising ecosystem. Okay. And so are your clients ad tech companies? Are they marketers? Are they... Across the board. I mean, I'm never across, I'm never on the opposite side of the table at the same time, but we right. have clients right. who are publishers. I have clients who are brands. I have clients who are in the retail media space, and then I have ad tech okay. company clients as well, okay. which end up being helpful because you can kind of understand all of the issues because we kind sure. of see things from all sides depending on who we're working with at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you really, you really run the spectrum there. So I want to ask you what... How, this is a broad one you know, to start, but if you, it depends on who you talk to in the ad industry that we're, you know, they're, no, we're never going to have a national privacy law. And these, there's, there's all the handful of cases that are sort of bubbling up, but it, we're fine. We've, we were, we're getting ready. And then other people are saying, watch out, things are coming. You know, people, no one's paying attention. Uh, so how are we doing overall in terms of privacy and preparing for the potential regulation in, in this industry right now? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I think it's it's a work in progress. Um, so I'd probably fall somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, I think that the industry has, you know, understands that there are regulations on the books, you know, things like coming out of California, understands what a sell and a share is, and it started to operationalize those requirements, understanding how broad sale is. So I think we're starting to see some shifts there. Um, but because these laws are so new and enforcement is so young, I don't yeah. think we've seen the full impact yet. So, for example, you know, California and then some of the other privacy laws have language around purpose limitations. 
And I don't think that the industry is fully focused on what that could mean if that's enforced to its full effect, meaning that you can only collect information or you can only use information for the purpose for which it was collected. You know, just being in the space for a while, you get information, you might use it for a variety of purposes because you have it. And I think that's a big culture shift. So I think there are yeah. things like that coming out of the law that we haven't fully seen the impact of yet. I'm going to come back to that purpose one because it, it, it ties into something that's going on in the industry that I want to ask you about. But uh, do you think you, you mentioned the, um, the the state laws and how they're being enforced? And Cal California was really early on this, but now there's a bunch of them. And as I understand it, this summer is sort of a big a big moment. Are we are we what are we not paying attention to enough on the potential of these some of these state laws? And, and maybe what do you, what do you think the summer is going to look like when if if and when enforcement kicks in, if it does? Sure. So, well, well, two things. I'll ask, answer the first one first, which is, you know, yeah. what we're not what we're not paying attention to. So, in addition to you know that purpose limitations, there are things in these laws that require, for example, contractual privity across the ecosystem. So, if you're engaging in programmatic advertising, getting contractual privity with everyone you might share data with is a near impossibility. And you know, the IAB has introduced a solution for this, but I don't think it's gotten you know full widespread adoption yet. So, really sorting out some of those contractual issues, what it looks like to honor opt-out signals beyond GPC when we start to get multiple signals that we have to, to, to listen to and respond to. I think there, there are some nuances in the law that um, we need to focus on. And then, of course, you know, the opt-in for sensitive information before targeting on, you know, precise geolocation or targeting on demographics or health information. That's been a, bit, a popular one. I think uh -huh. some of those things are you know, we're, they're starting to bubble up, but I don't know if we've sort, we don't have the answers to how to solve for all those problems just yet. Okay, um, let me ask you a, a stupid question, and I know you're about to answer part of, the, part of my other question, <laughs> but I would assume every, this is so naive, I guess, everybody who shares data, there's some kind of contract. Wouldn't that be normal business, or am, am I being foolish by thinking that? Uh, if you're in a direct deal, yes, but if you're sharing uh, data in the in the programmatic space or data that gets shared in cookies, for example. So if cookies are, um, you know, if you have container tags on your site, for example, if you're a publisher, you allow, you know, advertisers obviously to put creative on your site. You don't have control necessarily or relationships with all of the potential third parties collecting data within that advertising creative. And then when you have okay. cookies, you know, piggybacking along, that's all that that's all the data sharing. That's all the making information available where typically there isn't contractual privity. And I think that's where things start right. to get a little hairy. Okay, and then I'm sorry I cut you off from the from answering the question earlier about just w what's coming next. Sure. Well, and you know enforcement. Um, so California, just to take a step back. So you know California's law has been enforced by the Attorney General up until now, um, but there is a new privacy agency, the California Privacy Protection Agency, uh -huh. that and their enforcement um, ability or authority goes into effect July 1st. So, and I think what we'll start to see there is just more active enforcement. I mean, the attorney general has been active, but the attorney general has privacy in a number of other different areas. That He's got a, a lot of crime stuff to do right, with other, right. other things. Exactly. Yeah. Lot, right, exactly. You know, California is a big state. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of issues yeah. to focus on. This agency is dedicated to privacy. And, you know, my expectation is that, and they, I, I get the sense that they're very excited to start their enforcement powers. And oh, I, like they want to get going. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just, you know, enforcement. It's also they have audit capabilities. Right. So they could, you know, reach out and request an audit of your processes. So if you don't have your house in order, right, say we went to your lawyer and said, you know, California's coming. Uh, we just need to update our privacy policy and we'll, you know, have some software to give some rights. So we won't really deal with all the back end. We haven't we haven't signed all of our agreements. 
We don't have all our processes in place. You could get an audit of your of your processes starting in July. And you, if you don't have your house in order, I think that could trigger additional fines and regulatory scrutiny. So I'm not sure everyone's fully prepared for what it looks like to have an agency focused on privacy that both has audit and enforcement capabilities. It's funny because I've heard, again, it, you get different senses from different people you talk to. Some have said, you know, that's going to be, they're not going to have that, that, that agency when it gets up and running, it's going to be so small, they're going to have that much money and they're not going to be able to get that much done. And others have said what well, you suggested that they are built for this and they're going to want to make some examples of companies. Do, do you have a sense of where they might start? Like, is it is it going to be war on middlemen? Is it going to be, are like, do you think brands are going to get uh, roped into some things early on? Do you have any sense of where they're going to start heading first? That's an interesting question. Yeah. And so to the point of resources, you know, I, the agency has been hiring and scaling up over the last few months. So I think that statement might be true for some of the other states where their enforcement bodies are still small. And I don't right. think we're going to, you know, this is not like a hundreds of people operation. So it, so you, it will have some scale. But to your point, they, they do want to make examples. They do want to show the, that, you know, they're they're active and enforcing in this space. And that that's kind of like a, a, a carrot and a stick, right, for mm-hmm. companies to see. Like companies saw Sephora, for example, saw the settlement that came out of Sephora. Yep. And they perked up and said, oh, that could be me. Um, and that's helped escalate. Um, you know, progress on the on the brand side in particular. So I, I, I do think there's going to be a good amount of enforcement activity, even though, again, it's not like they can they can get to every company. And it's not clear necessarily where they will focus at first. You know, there are a couple of things I can think about. You know, one, there is a focus right now on children's information, health information and location data. And so if you're in that space, you're collecting that information that might be apparent from your your website or they have technologists who are also looking into what's going on on a web page. You know, I can see them focusing there. You know, obviously a lot of, um, at least from my perspective, a lot of what we see in the California law comes from a concern about the advertising, is sharing in the context of advertising. And so I think you could see them coming after ad tech specifically, or they could start with publishers because they're more front facing. But I do think there will be some attempt to rein in um, ad tech. And it's just not clear what angle necessarily they're, they're coming from. You know, I don't know if brands are going to be on the front lines, but brands, uh, I, but I do think brands will receive enforcement actions. I just don't know if they'll be in the first wave or if they'll come subsequent. Right. And when you say that, you know, you're, it's hard to say like what's mo- motivating them. Is it? That that's interesting to me. Is it clear that this is just about, you know, like uh, protecting the innocent consumer from getting ripped off? Is it about competition? I know there's like so many different um, aspects of this industry, but what what's what's like what's the big motivation for California for, for, for some of these state laws realistically? And I think it's I think it's evolved, but you know I do think that at least and for California in particular, if you've heard you know Alistair McTaggart and some of the drafters of the CCPA and later the CPRA, you know, some of the concern and the motivation behind this law came from a concern about data being shared amongst companies without consumers understanding it. So that you're a consumer, you go to a website, you have no idea the data sharing that goes on on the back end or all the companies who have access to your data. And then the question becomes, well, you know, what harm potentially is there? And I think particularly the last year, um, you know, post the Dobbs decision and the idea that, you know, how health and information can be used, yep. the potential for discrimination, the potential for predatory pricing, or just the idea that, you know, individuals should have some 
awareness, transparency, and rights and control over how their information is used. I think all of those are concerns that are leading to these laws. So, uh, and I think it, a lot of it stems from how a- uh, data is shared um, amongst advertising players, but it obviously goes broader than that. And I think that's yeah. sort of where we see some of the other states come in who have taken maybe a wider lens than California initially took. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, MIQ. Joining me today is Lara Koenig, Global Head of Product at MIQ, to talk about supply path optimization in CTV. Thanks for joining me today, Lara. Thanks for having me, Mike. So supply path optimization is a very hot topic right now, but for those who may be unfamiliar, can you explain how SPO is different when talking about CTV? Yeah, definitely. In CTV, SPO is a lot more about setting up the right access points and optimizing economic relationships with publishers versus in web environments where we see SPO be more about duplication and avoiding intermediaries. Buying at CTV through the right access points is super critical for safety, suitability, transparency, and also comes with benefits like better pricing and performance. One big strategy we've taken to ensure this at MIQ is we don't buy off-the-shelf DSP deal libraries. Instead, we've built our own marketplace, a series of deals from preferred SSP partners and high-value pubs that we've mapped through to all of our DSP seats. And why is that? Yeah, so purchasing through first-party marketplaces allows us to better control for price, for one, but also manage things like CTV content transparency, priority, and pod position. This is because publishers often carve out certain portions of their supply to make available to generic DSP deals, and they'll cover out different inventory slices uh, for deals where they have more direct communication with buyers. By setting up our own marketplace, we have access to more premium and efficient inventory across all the markets and platforms we buy through, helping our clients in turn have access to all the publishers they need for a diversified media plan. Fascinating stuff, Laura. Thanks. Where can folks learn more? Please visit our website at wearemiq.com backslash ATV. Thanks again for joining us, Laura. Thanks, Mike. So I can I can understand this idea of trying to crack down on just like totally unregulated sharing of data. Nobody knows what's going on. Companies building their businesses on the backs of stuff. Consumers are lost. But know, knowing this is coming, the industry has done a lot of, or at least very very publicly, we're we're going to only use first party data, right? And we're going to use clean rooms to make it sharing very safe, and no one no no data is moving around, and consumers are getting things that they care about. Again, it's probably hard to know, but are, are those actions going to be legal pr- or proof? Uh, you, you know, stuff like using clean room is going to be um, compliant or, or we don't know even the extent of, of the enforcement for those kind of that kind of data movement. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's been a lot of movement to try to clean things up and make an argument that our activities are privacy protective. And, you know, we should mention that there are, you know, there are all these laws, but then there are a number of platform changes happening as well and just larger kind of business shifts we're seeing in this in this space. And so so first party data, you know, I think has historically been, you know, deemed safer, right? Because you're not right. you're not collecting third party data, you're not matching data across different sites. It should be clear to the consumer what information you're collecting. You know, that you could yeah. probably poke holes in that to a certain extent, but at least if you look at the law, you know, that would be like in quotations like safe information. Right. But if we move along to things like clean rooms, for example, some of that, whether or not that solves for privacy, is gonna depend on um depend on the technology itself and then how it's being used. I think to the extent that Technology allows companies to do the same things that they were doing before, match their data and target, um, you know, target consumers. That's not going to be a clean escape from some of these privacy regulations. It's just going to be potentially more privacy protective and solve for other business concerns. That's kind of you made me think of this. That's kind of where I was going with this. Like, 
I guess a couple of things. You know, I sign. I, I understand. For, right, first party data that seems very like direct. I sign up for service. I get my login. I use it. I, I, I'm not being tricked at all. But I also, I also didn't necessarily sign up for my data to be used in match to match up with brands in a clean room. What about a lot of these efforts to replace cookies? Are very much the way you described it, where there, there, there are attempts to bring together a bunch of email addresses in this like really safe way, that sounds privacy compliant, I guess, but it's not. Um, it's probably not what people signed up for. So I, I guess I wonder: are those vulnerable? If if the lawmakers start, you know, cracking down the way you're describing. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, well, one issue is they're actually more durable. I think those solutions are really solutions for deprecation of third-party cookies, not for privacy, right? So, right. And so you have, if you if you pivot to emails, emails are more durable because most people don't change their emails frequently. You can't clear your cookies the same way. You, yep, you, yep. That, that, that doesn't apply for emails. So it's actually a stronger um, identifier. And again, it, it allows you to do what you were doing before and maybe potentially in a more robust way. And then if we haven't disclosed it necessarily, uh, because it's really hard, right? You don't want to start today collecting emails. People, you know, companies have decades of emails potentially yes. they want to be able to rely on. But did they decades ago? Did they say we're going to use your email for this purpose? Probably not. And I think that's no. where some of those uh, purpose limitation, that purpose limitation language, comes into play, and and how that ultimately gets enforced. So, I mean, my my hope would be that on the regulatory front, I do think that that some of these measures do add a layer of privacy that wasn't there before. And that should be an incentive. Like regulators should encourage companies to take these steps that are more privacy protective. I just think companies have to be realistic that those steps aren't going to take them completely outside the scope of the law so that they, they can do whatever they want to do with them. Uh, it's right. not going to be looked at, I think, or be as maybe a, a stronger target or focus or as high risk as some of the other activities that they're engaging yeah. in. Yeah, it's like if you're if you're thinking about, well, let's just, what's what's another clever way we can keep doing all the stuff we were doing before? Right. That's not necessarily that you're not putting privacy first. You're putting your business first, which may not fly with the, with, with when the when lawmakers, you know, when it comes down to, to enforcement. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned a couple of times and some people have brought this up to me. There are a bunch of laws in different states aimed at protecting minors. And you're seeing this around the world, which everyone seems to be on board with uh, theoretically. But I've heard that thinking there could be unintended consequences for a lot of businesses and publishers in particular when if that goes into effect. Have you, have you seen any or have you heard anything along those lines? No, absolutely. And I know that's something that companies are grappling with and, you know, that the clock is ticking on finding a complete solution for that. Um, but if we look at, you know, for example, California's age-appropriate design code and some of the language coming up in new bills, you know, COPPA, which is the law that exists on the federal level, is really about whether a site is directed to children. Um, the the new wave of laws expands that to whether it's likely to be accessed by children. And so it's uh -huh. very different to say, like, yeah, I have a cartoon site, I have a kid's site, you know, there's clear what content looks like when it's being directed sure. to children, but likely to be accessed. And then you couple the likely to be accessed language with raising the age, right? Sometimes 16 or it could be up to yeah. 18, depending on the law. So what website is likely to be accessed by a 16-year-old? You know, that could be that could be anything. That could be any publisher site. That could be a fitness website. You know, that could be a news site. That could be CNN, sure. you know. And so ESPN, I think, right, like that. exactly. So, I, you know, you can't really say that, particularly once you get past a certain age, that there are many sites outside of maybe hopefully like, you know, alcohol brands that yeah. aren't likely to be accessed 
by children. And so then what do you do? Are we going to get into a space where, you know, every website has to have an age gate so that you actually know and can give a different experience to children versus um, children versus adults? And there isn't an easy, I, I don't have an answer for that yet. I think that's what a lot of companies are and, and industry groups are trying to work through. How will yeah. we solve for that? So I think that's one of the unintended consequences. Yeah, that makes life a lot more complicated for a lot of publishers. Who do you, I think you've already kind of maybe answered this question, but who do you think has to has more to worry about on the broader regulatory climate. Uh, is it ad tech or it, it, are brands and publishers also like in the in the fire, in the line of fire? I think everyone is in the line of fire. So, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't tell, I wouldn't say to anyone, you know, just close your eyes and assume you're not it. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, ad tech is always on the front lines, I think, for from a regulatory perspective. You know, they're the intermediaries are not the ones who are consumer facing, like, pulling up the hood. I mean, for, for years, regulators have been looking at, you know, data broker reports. How do we deal with the data broker issue? And now that's expanded to, I think, a variety of, of ad tech companies that aren't explicitly data brokers, but there's a concern that they're just not visible, right, to, right. to the consumer. And also there's so many of them and they're collecting so much information. Like, how do you regulate and understand what they're doing? So I think they're all that 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 group is always at the center of attention. But beyond that, you know, then you have publishers, you know, who tend to be the front lines, right? So then they get a lot of uh, pressure and scrutiny because that tends to be the first line of contact. How do I know what ad tech companies are collecting data? Well, you go to publisher sites and try yeah, to see- Yeah, who do you blame? The one you yeah. know, right? Yeah, exactly. You go to a publisher site, you look at the developer code and try to see who all the companies potentially collecting data off of that publisher site. But, you know, those companies are also working with brands as well. And so I think historically- the focus has been on ad tech and publishers, but brands, um, you know, brands use advertising technology as well. And so I think they're likely to face some scrutiny. So I, like, yeah. I can't tell anyone, I wouldn't tell anyone, assume you're out of the line of fire. I think everyone right, right. <laughs> make sure they're paying attention to this and are buttoned up. What, like, it's hard to know. What's the, what's worst case scenario for ad tech? Like, are there, are, could we see a lot of companies have to you know, shut down their businesses or radically change their business practices? You know, I don't, my hope is that we don't see companies have to shut down necessarily. I, you know, I do think there might be some, maybe there'll be cleanup or there'll be consolidation. I think because we have this audit, um, you have both the potential of audit from the agency, but then also um, there's an obligation to audit your your business partners now in addition to having you know, contracts in place with them. Right. And so I think there's going to be more vetting of these partners. And to the extent that you were able to fly below the radar before, I think that's going to become harder. So to, if you were a bad actor engaging in bad practices or you didn't have any practices, you you know, I think that's going to be harder for, for those companies. But my hope is that that's a small subset and that yeah. others will be able to kind of um, step up and show what they're doing. And there there could be some consolidation in this space. And then in terms of business models, I do think, and I don't think this is going to happen, you know, immediately because it's going to be a radical shift. But what the law requires, honestly, if you did, if you follow the exact letter of the law, it would shut down a lot of business models or in a lot of businesses just because yeah. between the opt-outs and opt-in for sensitive information and the purpose limitations and all the controls that need to be in place, it become very hard, I think, for certain models to continue to function as they are, at least function at scale. Right. And and those are not small changes for some of those companies. Yeah, exactly. Those are not small changes. Those are big cultural changes. My hope is that 
there's an opportunity for that to shift over time. You know, I don't know that regulators appreciate what it looks like to go inside your company as you've built it up and and sort of recreate everything or readjust everything. Like that's just not possible. It's a, and it takes a number, a lot of resources that companies don't have. Um, right. But I do think there's going to be a shift in model over time. And part of that's going to be regulation, but part of it, again, is going to be some of these platform changes as well. Right. Uh, okay, what's your gut? Are we, are we going to get, you know, there was a national privacy law introduced last year. It didn't happen. There's been a number of attempts over the, over the years. There's a lot going on in, in the world right now that I don't, know, I don't know how big of a priority this is for the Biden administration. I don't know. I don't know but do you think we're going to see something in 2023? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Zero. Not a chance. I, I give it zero. I mean, so I think there will be federal privacy one day. I just don't think that it is likely to come to fruition in 2023. Um, just because there's there's so much going on. We're also going to be, you know, kicking off election seasons. Um, yep. Now we no longer have one party controlling um, all three houses. So that makes right. any legislation hard to get through, much less privacy, which has you know, should be obvious and agreeable, but has a lot of politics layered on top of it, as yep. everything else does. And so that's how it got, how, you know, that's how the bill died last year was really through politics, through California saying, well, we can't have our law preempted and we've had the best law and we need to be the ones who are enforcing this law. Right. Um, and now, you know, I, I just think it's going to get complicated. And so I think we will have federal privacy, but I think if I had to bet, I would give it 0% chance of 2023. All right. Um, speaking of federal implementations of, of sort of laws, what is your take on this? Um, this is a little bit of a broader question. What is your take on the FTC's approach to big tech so far? They've got a lot of criticism. They're obviously they've they've going after this what they call surveillance advertising. What do you think is going on right now? Yeah, I mean, this comes back to a little bit of what we were talking earlier that this space, right, the activities that go on and and the advertising ecosystem, the broadcast of data potentially to a number of different companies and how that might be used and what the negative impacts look like. I think that is a focus on the state level. I think it's a focus on the federal level as well. Right, that's where that's why we're talking about this surveillance advertising, and it's not really about the advertising itself, at least in, in my opinion. It's about the potential for all of the information that's collected and used, um, you know, the significant potential profiles that companies are able to build about an individual and the potential for for misuse there. And I think the FTC has been hamstrung, you know, in their ability to enforce. And so they have taken, you know, they're going to, they've made it clear they're going to use every tool in their tool belt. They're going to get very creative. And, you know, I think if you look across the legal community, you'll have many who say a number of things that they're doing wouldn't stand up in court. Um, and, and I think we started to see that with the Kachava decision, you know, not a complete yeah. loss for the FTC, but, you know, the court did come back. Not a slam dunk. Right. Exactly. Not not a slam dunk. And that's just because and we only know that because Kachava challenged and we might start to see more companies looking to challenge. You know, my my interpretation, or my my um, my view on what the FTC is doing is really trying to set examples. Right. We want to say this is our expectation and this is how we plan to enforce and we hope as we start to do these things that companies will shift their behavior because the FTC, like the the states, can't go after everyone. And I do think that right. their activities are subject to challenge. But maybe if they send this message out, the fear of having to go through that process will, you know, be another piece in the puzzle in terms of getting companies to um, shift their practices. And I think that's right. probably their intent here. Last question, Jessica. The, this. Uh, I'm wondering, this is, I've read about this recently. If Even if you start to see these state laws kind of 
shake shake up some of these practices and and force companies to kind of uh, you know either con- comply or or alter the way they're doing things. There's this broader push in the industry and across all industries right now. A- AI couldn't be more topical, and and the industry is running towards using it for a bunch of purposes, including ad targeting. And I'm wondering if and and sometimes it's under the guise of well we're gonna this will be more privacy compliant if we use AI, but I I wonder if we're gonna get to a place where the regulators start you know cracking down on certain abuses and then the industry changes so much that they're not going to be able to govern what they don't understand because it's going to be so driven by black boxes that only a few companies even can have, have access to. Do you think that's something that the industry needs to worry about and what can regulators do? Sure. I, I mean, I do think, I mean, obviously AI is the hottest topic right now in every circle, whether it's in and across business and the legal side and the privacy space, you know, there are a lot of conversations about it. Um, and it, I'm, you know, I, and we just saw hearings. Actually, a Congress that had a hearing on on AI, and so they're looking at it at the federal level as well. And I don't think that we should necessarily count regulators out in terms of being able to understand how it works. You know, what we're hearing more is that you know, for the um, at the federal and state level, standing up like offices of technology, bringing on more technologists, so that you actually do have the technology and engineering you know, chops to look at these products and understand what's going on and so that you can regulate uh, more effectively. I think after the, like, debacle of the Mark Zuckerberg hearing a couple of years ago, you know, like, you know, there was a little bit of embarrassment there in terms of not... Yeah, the optics weren't great. Yeah, the optics weren't great. And so I think there is a concerted effort to try to move past that image. Um, so I do think there will be more more scrutiny there. But in terms of what the industry should should look at, you know, again... I think the question when I talk to companies is like, well, what problem are you trying to solve for? You know, AI isn't going to solve all of your privacy problems at all. I mean, it might even enhance them because in order for yeah. AI to really be um, successful in many cases, it requires, you know, bringing a lot, a lot of data. Yeah, it requ- exactly. It requires a lot of data. So how is that data collected? What are the potential risks there? And you'll see the technology always evolves, but there's a fundamental baseline of questions and issues that remain the same. You know, mm-hmm. can we be transparent about what we're doing and how we collected information, who we got it with? Is the data clean? Who do we get it from? Do we have terms in place? You know, what are the potential harms to the consumer? Uh, you know, how this information might be used. And I think if you take some of these broad principles and you sort of carry them, carry it with you, whether it's AI or whatever comes after AI, that will help just help evaluate. But I, I caution against thinking, oh, the shiny new thing is going to solve for this. It, it might... It, right. Yeah. It just might be a different way to do business and might have other business benefits that really are, you know, solutions to privacy concerns. Yeah. Like you said, it, it, it will be the way that it's the attention behind the its usage. Is it to skirt the regulation or to actually enhance privacy? And that'll be that'll be a, that's an open question, I think, going forward. Yeah. Jessica, this is awesome stuff. We could probably talk for another hour, but but I want to let you go. But thank you so much for, for educating our, our audience. And hopefully we'll chat again down the road. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Today's episode was brought to you by MIQ, an award-winning programmatic media partner for marketers and agencies. You can learn more about MIQ at wearemiq.com slash ATV. That's W-E-A-R-E-M-I-Q dot com slash ATV. Thanks again to my guest this week, Jessica Lee of Loeb & Loeb, and my partners at MIQ and my friends at BTV. If you like this week's episode, please take a moment to rate and leave a review. 
We have lots more to bring you, so be sure to hit that subscribe button. We'll see you next time for more Nexting Media.